to that verse that Michael just said, Romans 4:17. He calls things that are not as though they were. That's what I want to speak to you today about. Because there's two parts to being a Christian, to following Jesus. There's two sides to our hope. The first is for now, and the next is for then. We have a hope for our lives now that we can follow Jesus, find peace in our lives, find direction in our lives because he gives us uh, 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 guidelines or a way to live. His teachings teach us how to live. We can have a relationship with him right now. His spirit can be inside us, within us, as Michael was saying, on the inside. But there's also a then. There's also the promise for the future. In Revelations 21, 4, Jesus talks about that promise of the then, he says that God will walk among us. We won't no longer have to ask people about God because God will be with us. Uh, there will be no more sickness, no more sadness, no more poverty, no more pain, no more death. Isn't that a great then to have? And it's a world that will be just. Uh, it's a world that God will reign over. Um, every person will know that they're loved. Every person will be loved. Every person will know that they're loved. I can imagine, if I try quite hard, a world without slavery, a world without poverty, a world where people are kind to each other, where children know that they're loved. I can imagine that. But to be frank with you, I find it difficult to imagine a world where I'm in that world and I'm still not broken. <clears throat> but that is God's promise. He's going to restore the whole of creation and even me, and even you, even the brokenness in each one of us. There's a promise for now, and there's a promise for then. In, uh, I don't know what we'll be like. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, well, we don't know what we'll be like. Nobody knows what we will be like, but we will be changed. In John 3, verse 2, John says, Dear friends, now we are the children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. So here you can see that two-part idea that we are now changed. We become the sons of daughters. Our lives are changed. We're made into new creations. But there is more. There is something that we don't have yet. The fullness of who we will be in God still hasn't come yet. And that's going to be true for the whole of creation as well. Hebrews 2 verse 8 to 9 says, at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, to Jesus, but we see him, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering and death. So we do see Jesus is crowned with glory and honor. He is completely victorious. And yet there's still a sense that we don't see fully everything in creation, including ourselves under his subjection. I'm pretty sure you're on board with me that already. We already know, uh, no matter if you've never been to church before, we already know that this is not the world uh, where there is no more pain and no more sickness and no more crying and no more death. We, we already know that that part hasn't come yet. So that's the good news. That's what we want to talk about today. This two-part deal that we live, this concept of having God's promised life now, and at the same time, we don't yet have all of it, there is more to come. So Jesus talked about it as his kingdom. Oh, that's a weird term, isn't it, kingdom? It sounds a bit medieval. 
doesn't it? Sounds like, uh, well, I mean, we have a queen of England and one day we might have a king and they have no influence over us whatsoever. Um, small children don't even know who they are. Um, they, you know, they, they don't, they're just kind of a uh, figurehead on, um, they don't have any power. The government has the power and they're far and distant away. But Jesus' kingdom, Jesus being the king is not like that at all. He will be the king and the government and rule over every heart and things will be the way that he wants them in his world. At the moment, we live in this world <laughs> where things are not as Jesus fully wants them to be. In this world, we worry about money, we worry about what we wear, we worry about what people would think of us, uh, good times happen, bad times happen, sickness happens, the world is not just we hurt each other, even accidentally, even against our best intentions. We hurt each other. People hurt us. Uh, people die. This is the world that we live in. But his world, the kingdom that Jesus talks about, is so different that we just we never could intuitively just get on board with it. We have to actually learn about it because it is so different. Here's a few things that I found that are different about his kingdom. The way that Jesus calls us to live, if you are needy, you help someone else to make your needs be met. How weird is that? If you don't have money or clothes or food, you don't worry about it. <laughs> wow. I'm still trying to get that one into practice. If someone hurts them, hurts you, you forgive them. Even if they're not sorry, and they didn't even ask for your forgiveness, and they tell you to your face they're going to do it again, or while they're still doing it to you, you forgive them. I know, right? <laughs> if you're not sure what to do, you stop and wait and pray. If you sin, I know we know this one in our head, but to live it out, if you sin, if you do the wrong thing, you don't hide it, you don't justify it, you don't run away from it or try to cover up. You tell someone, confess your sins, not only to God, but to someone. If you want to be free, you submit yourself to God's authority. So weird, isn't it? If you want to be a leader, if you want to be powerful and have influence, you must make yourself the lowest servant. There's so many more. I had heaps more on the slide, and then the slide was too small. And then I got distracted about what my point was because there's so much stuff about his kingdom that is just completely opposite to our way of thinking and our way of living that I like to call it upside down land. His kingdom that he talks about just seems like it's upside down. Whatever your first thought is, his is the opposite. It's upside down, isn't it? It seems like that. But... <clears throat> In reality, this world that we live in is the upside-down world. And I think that we all know it. Everyone in Portland can, everyone in the world, I think we know this because we long for justice. We long for equality of all people. We long for there to be no more sickness. We're offended when death comes into our lives or into our spheres. We, we hate that addiction 
robs people of their lives. We hate all those things. We know that those things are not the way that we're meant to live without ever being taught. I swear to you, I never said to my toddlers, that's not fair. And one of the first things that they learned to say was, that's not fair. Without ever being taught it, we know we have this sense of justice and we know we don't see it in this world. Even tiny little toddlers have never been taught. Our spirits recognize it. This world isn't really how I think it should be from a young, young age. C.S. Lewis said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. We were made for a different kind of life. So even though we say, Jesus, your way of living seems like it's totally upside down, this is the upside down world. And... When you first start to follow Jesus, it can be really hard. When you first start to hear what Jesus calls us to, it can be really hard because you just can't understand it. You're like, well, how how will that work? How will that work if I forgive that person and they're still being mean to me? Shouldn't I be kicking them? It's hard to understand in the beginning. But once we begin to follow Jesus and live out this life that he calls us to, we will find that it is the only life that makes sense. It makes sense deep in our spirits, deep in our bones, and it's the only way that we can find peace in this world because that is the way that we were created to live. It's funny because we're talking about the kingdom of God uh, and... um, the disciples with Jesus didn't get it either. <laughs> they didn't get a lot of things, did they? No judgment, because neither do I, so no judgment there. Sorry, Peter and Paul. But um, the disciples didn't understand when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God. And they thought, because uh, Rome was like the overlords of um, the Jewish people, and they thought that when Jesus started talking about his kingdom, he was going to become a military leader Did he look like a military leader? I don't know. And he's going to overthrow Rome and become the king of Jerusalem. And he's just like, the king of Jerusalem. Guys, my kingdom is not of this world, he told them. He's not just planning on being king of Jerusalem, but of all of creation. Sometimes this idea about the kingdom of God, it's vast and complicated Uh, and um, Jesus spoke about it a lot, like a lot. This is one of his main preaching topics. Almost all of the parables that he told, the stories he told were about the kingdom of God. When people said, how should we pray? He taught them to pray for the kingdom of God. All the Beatitudes are about the kingdom of God. It's mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament. When uh, When he sent his followers out, he told them, teach people about the kingdom of God, repent, change your heart, the kingdom of God is near. It's a big main theme of Jesus, and yet there's still so much confusion about it. In fact, some Christian uh, Christians, like people who wrote books uh, and stuff, they think, or they say, perhaps the kingdom of God is already here, completely. I don't know how they got published, because I still see suffering and sickness crying and pain and death, people trapped by addictions and circumstances. So I know there's hope for a better yet to come that God promises us. 
Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, but he promises that we will be in at one time. And it just breaks my heart when I see people don't understand this and they say things like, well, I prayed for Jesus to heal me and I didn't get healed and so it must be my lack of faith or something else, like maybe he's not even real. But we still see evil in our world and it's got nothing to do with the lack of faith or something you haven't done. And Jesus explains it utterly clearly. It's coming back to this two-part idea, this we have the promises of God, the fullness of God, and yet there is still more to come. He told this story, uh, we see it in Matthew 13, 24 to 30. He said, the kingdom of heaven, that's what we're talking about, is like a man who sowed seed in his field. It's funny because sometimes when I read the parables, when Jesus is telling like a story, I imagine that something like that recently happened in town. So, um, you know, like there's this story of the guy finds a pearl of great price. I just kind of feel like something happened one day at the marketplace and a guy did find this amazing pearl and, and everyone knows that story. It was like the town gossip for that day and then Jesus says it. So I kind of feel like maybe this actually happened. There was some, uh, some enemy of, of some landowner who sowed we, uh, weeds into the wheat. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants come to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good wheat into this field? So where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. So the servants say, well, do you want us to go and pull it all up? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling out the weeds, you might uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them together in bundles to be burned, and then collect the wheat and bring it into my barn. So those evil things, sickness, poverty, addiction, death, the evil in the heart of man, all of those things are still with us in this world. It's all still here. Jesus explains it's like the weeds among the good wheat field that he intended for us. Those things are not from God and they're not the life that he has created for us. And one day God will destroy all of those things. In 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about at the right time, Jesus will deliver the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign, that's Jesus, until he's put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So this is so important to understand that Jesus is God, that Jesus is king, that he is sovereign, God is in control. But this time that we live in right now is like a good wheat field with weeds in it. And God's ultimate plan is that he will destroy those things. In fact, through his death and resurrection, Jesus has already laid down the weed killer. You know, when you have 
all these weeds in your yard and then you apply weed killer and your wife still comes home and goes, honey, I thought you were dealing with those weeds. And you're like, I've put the weed killer down. In a couple of days, they'll all be dead. We live in that time. He's applied the weed killer. The writing's on the wall. The Bible said the end to all of these things is near. We're just in that time before we see the full destruction of all that. And just uh, as an example for those of us who are not wheat farmers, I'm sure there are some here, but uh, not me. Imagine if you have an infection, like a um, an infected tooth or an infected cut or like a UTI or something terrible like that. When you take antibiotics, it starts to work immediately. It starts its work. It's restoring you. It's healing. It's curing you. It's taking away the infection. But it is still a day or two, isn't it? Before the symptoms start to really go away, uh, before you see that full healing. But the work has begun. The, the writing's on the wall for that infection. It's going out. That's the time that we live in now. That Jesus' death and resurrection, it is the cure. It is the antidote. It is the antibiotics. But we're still in that day before, the metaphorical day before we start to see the full healing and those things uh, leave us. So why do we have to know that? We have to know that Jesus knows that good and evil coexist in this world that we live in. We have to understand that Jesus knows that is the world we live in. We're we're good wheat in a field where the enemy has sowed weed. Because this puts our experience of suffering into a different perspective. It is so hard to understand how God is good when we experience such terrible suffering in our world. But when we understand this, this parable that Jesus was talking about, the kingdom of God, we can understand that God is good and evil and good coexist at this point. But God's plan is that evil will be done away with one day and those things will be no more. It's that upside down way of thinking again. It takes a bit of learning to be able to understand our experience of suffering in the light of this. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that... When something bad happens, it's always a surprise, right? It doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is. It could be that you stubbed your toe. You're like, what? How did this happen? It doesn't matter if it's an unexpected bill or an unexpected terminal illness diagnosis. Big or small, we're always so surprised, aren't we? Just shock. I'm speechless shocked, surprised. How did, how did this happen? We're always just surprised, aren't we? When anything even remotely bad happened, we're just, we're just surprised. But when we understand what the Lord is saying about his kingdom that we have his promise now and there's still more good to come, then you won't be surprised. Your hearts won't be unsettled. Your faith won't be unhinged. You won't be standing on shaky ground when trouble comes. Because Jesus said, this is actually one of his promises. I laughed as Beth prayed this morning, let all of your promises come true. Well, here's one. (laughs) 
Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Hashtag Jesus. It's not on any billboards, that one, is it? No one tattooed that on their back. In this world, you will have trouble. It doesn't sound very positive, I know, but in the context of understanding that Jesus is saying in this world where there's still evil dwells, which I'm doing away with it, in this world there still will be trouble, but I'm making a world for you where those things won't trouble you anymore. This world isn't all there is for us. When we understand that it is reassuring because we know God is in control. God's with me now. He has a good plan. He hates what's happening to me now and he has a way to destroy those things for good. He tells us that we'll have trouble so that we may have peace. So we're not unshaken when trouble comes. So we understand it for what it is. Come on, mature Christians. Don't be shaken when trouble comes. Jesus promised us in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart of overcome this world. He's already laid down the weed killer. He's already administered the cure, the antibiotics. His plan is to destroy those things. It's John 16, 33. Can I have the musos up, please? Here's my new favorite Bible verse. If you come to me anytime this year, I'll be saying this one thing to you. Just get ready, because that's what I'll be saying. I've already said it to a few people. In 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 12. It's not chapter 12, it's verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 12. This is Peter, Jesus' right-hand man. He says, don't be surprised. Dear friends, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. Don't be surprised. Expect it. Expect troubles in this world. Expect these fiery ordeals. Don't be surprised as though something weird is happening, something strange is happening to you. Here's an interesting Bible study you could do this week. You can look in every single Bible book and see if you can find any trouble occurring to people. I promise you, it's there. From Genesis to Revelation, in all the poetry and all the stories and all the history, it's there. Trouble happens in this world. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, it's going to. I'm sorry, but I promise hard times will come. But don't be surprised. It's not some strange thing happening to you. It's this place that we live where good and evil coexist and God knows about it and he has a plan to do away with those things. Do you know that God is just as righteously angry and offended at sickness and death and injustice as you are. Those feelings that rise up within you, the offense at death and sickness, why is this happening to us? Where do you think those feelings came from? They come from Him. They are His feelings. He hates those things. He hates that you hurt. And He's making a world where those things never can hurt you again. That's the good news. 
That's the message of the kingdom of God. And that's the thing that we have to tell others because this, without this understanding, that's the bit that they miss. They can't understand how God is good. When they say to you, how can God be good? Or how could he let this happen if he's good when this terrible thing happened in my life? You've got to tell them God is good. And this is not God's plan. This is not what God wanted for you. And he hates that you were hurt. He hates those things. The Bible says those are his enemies too. And he is making a world for you where those things will no longer hurt you ever again because you are his precious, precious child. And this is his good, good plan for us. So don't be surprised when trouble comes, like something strange is happening to you. But while we wait in this metaphorical day just before the harvest or that day just before the antibiotics fully kick in, in this day of having God's promises but also not yet fully having the kingdom of God in our midst, While we wait, he's right there with us. He's not far off preparing things for us. He's right here with us too. The Bible says he grieves with us as we grieve. He's joyful as we're joyful. He's close to the brokenhearted. He's our ever-present help in times of trouble. That's where he is. He's with us saying, I hate those things too, and I'm getting rid of them. I'm making a good life where I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And because we know this, as a follower of Jesus, although we have his promises now and we have this promise for the kingdom that we still don't fully have, we get to live as though we already have it all. We get to live, even though I can see I'm in this world now, we get to live as though we're already there. I just love that song. So when suffering comes, we're not surprised. We're already aware of that and we're living as though we're already there. I love that song, As It Is In Heaven by Hillsong. That is such good theology. It talks about just this thing about um, the kingdom of God. So the words are, I sing like I will then. He's saying, here I am right now, but I'm going to sing as though I'm already there in the fearless light of glory where the darkness cannot find me and your face is all I see. I will sing like a man with no sickness in my body where no prison walls can hold me. I will sing like I am free. And while I'm waiting, I'm not just waiting. I know heaven lives in me. His kingdom has already begun on us. No, the first time I sang this song, the first time I heard it was at the Hillsong Conference last year, and I was so sick. I have not been that sick in like a decade. I was just so sick. Dragged myself there with the flu. I had no voice at all. Couldn't even make a squeak. Couldn't talk to a soul. I was sweating. I was feverish, shaking, a pounding headache. And Hillsong is loud. And I, I was this gross, I'm like sweating and stuff. And every muscle in my body was just hurting from this flu. I felt so, so miserable. I was so sorry for myself. I'm texting Pauline all the time, like, Ugh. the sad face emoji. I'm so pathetic. And then Hillsong strikes up this song. 
And I started to sing it. And then when we got to that line, I'll sing like a man with no sickness in my body. I was just, well, I would say I was screaming it out, but I had no voice. I'm breathing it out just with all of my energy. I just declared it over my life for then and for forever, every day, even though I live in this place where there is sickness in my body, I'm going to sing as though I'm already in that good kingdom that Jesus has, where there is no more sickness, there is no more sadness, where death is no more, where poverty doesn't destroy people, where addictions don't rob people, where, where there is no more of that stuff. It's the enemy of God and He's going to do away with it. We can sing like we're already there. So we're waiting for this not yet fully got yet but we're not just standing around waiting with God far away sending us letters it's almost ready guys we're waiting but we're singing like we're already there we're living like I see this stuff but I'm I'm prophesying that over my life I'm declaring that over my life I don't have these things in my life because I'm oh ye of little faith I haven't done things wrong to invite sickness and death in my life good and evil exist coexist but God's plan is to destroy them. And we do that by letting Jesus be the king of our heart right now. His kingdom starts when I invite him to be the king of my heart. That's all it takes. If you've never prayed before to ask Jesus to be the king of your life and people say, oh, Lord, be the Lord of my life, what does that mean? It means let him begin his restoration of the whole world by restoring you, by letting him reign over you. Can I get you to stand? We're going to sing the tag uh, just a few, a few times three. So the question today is, will you let Jesus be the king of your life, of your heart? Will you let him start to restore you? Will you mature Christians, will you stop being surprised when trouble comes? Will you stand strong and establish in Him and say, God, I know that you're with me. I know trouble's here, but I know you've got a good plan for me to overcome this. Will you let Him be the King over every part of your life? If you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, there's always more parts of our life. Will you let Him into your choices and your thoughts and your uh, things that you look at and the way that you dress and the things that you eat and the, the work relationships you have and the family relationships, every moment, every moment of every day will you just sing the song now and, uh, and ask Him to be the King of every part of your life.